these are age, these are questions from my agents. Okay. So I put out I put out a message to them and okay. said, "Hey, I want I want your questions. What you want to know?" Okay. Will the housing market crash? No. Um, and I get that question a lot. The difference between now and 2008 for anyone that wasn't around that is we're not making bad transactions. We're not making loans to people that can't afford them. We're not stretching the limits of what people can qualify for. If anything, we're being more conservative. Um, you know, the last recession everybody can remember is from housing. So everyone wants to kind of point the finger at our industry. But the truth of the matter is this came from inflation. It came from uh, not knowing really how to handle COVID from an economic policy standpoint. We printed way too much money. We made things way too cheap. And anything, anytime you make goods cheap and flood the market with money, inflation's going to happen, right? So um, we're kind of, you know, eating crow on the policies a little bit right now, but it's it's expected and it's something that has to happen. But it's not going to be anything near 2008. I think it'll be violent and quick. It won't be a four or five year recovery like it was last time. I think it'll be 18 to 24 months. But unfortunately, um, it has to happen in order for everything to level out. To restart. Yeah. We'll restart the market. Will interest make it to 8% or above? We will know that in July. So that's a great question. So two things are driving the interest rate conversation right now. One is the CPI, Consumer Price Index, right? That's what drives inflation. So the last two or three times we've gotten that report, we've gone up incremental amounts, but we're still not curbing inflation, which is what <clears throat> the Fed is trying to do through look, raising the interest rates. You make things more expensive, people spend less money, inflation comes down because there's more supply and less demand, right? The next time that we meet is in July, right? The Fed meets in July a few days after they get the consumer price index. It's that way by design right now. They're going to meet every month right after we get that report. That data is a little behind. You and I can feel that things are changing. I don't know if it's going to show up on that report yet. So if that report doesn't show a decline from 8.6%, they're going to act aggressively. If they act aggressively, I think we could see them go from sixes, which is where we're kind of planted right now, above seven. Next month could do the same thing. I think we could see, unless inflation starts to come down, you can expect that those are going to be big events that happen every month. So do you think every time they meet that they'll do a, a 0.75 increase every time? Or do you think that they'll get more aggressive and start doing a 1%? Well, it really just depends on if you believe what they're telling us, right? Um, they have a good job of speaking out of both sides of their mouth where they say, we're going to be extremely aggressive. However, if the market dictates, we will be less aggressive. So the, the playbook that they've given us right now is until they get to 2%, they're going to continue to be aggressive, gotcha. right? I don't think we're going to be at 2% on this next meeting. So maybe they don't, if we go to six or 5% inflation, that'd be great, right? They might only increase at a quarter or three eighths. That's good news. Mm -hmm. uh, as long as it continues to go down. I think we're already starting to see it. You're starting to see some layoffs. You're starting to see lumber prices, steel prices kind of coming back to the consumer. They're not as expensive as they were a year ago. Uh, but I think we got a little bit of room to go. Yeah, we've already seen, we've started seeing, um, even on the real estate side, 
we've already seen uh, started seeing uh, builders reductions sure. on on models and yeah. and just in their their inventory. So it's funny how quick they remember that you guys exist and they want to pay your commission. Right now so they're now they're calling. Don't us. forget those things. Oh, I know. Okay, it's important. <laughs> they're they're calling us saying, yeah. "Hey, we have inventory. Bring your clients." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. the good old days. Yeah. Um, what would you see as a normal interest rate for now and the future? Okay, so right now we're in sixes, right? Wherever those meetings go, we're going to have adjustments. Um, I have a saying that there's a rule of four, and if you can get these three levels of levers of the economy at the same 4%, it works, right? If you can have rates in the fours, unemployment in the fours, and appreciation in the fours, it just works. We ran like that from 2010 to 2019, and it was pretty stable. We knew what to expect. We knew what rates would be. If you didn't lock your rate in Friday, Monday was fine. We don't live in that world right now. Um, you know, COVID threw some curveballs. You can't expect economists to know exactly how to fix it. Um, I think they did what they thought was right. I think that politically they kept putting money out that they shouldn't um, in places that they shouldn't, and now we're kind of like paying the price paying for that. The price for it. But if we can get rebalanced to that kind of that four, four, and four, um, you know, it's really silly. But in management or leadership, if you can take a step back and find three or four things like if this is right, this is right, and this is right, pretty much everything else is rolling, right? Absolutely. So if we can get back to that, uh, I think it's years, and I think on the other side of this, we'll have years of stability that we can account to. I think rates settle in that mid fours range once this is all over. Eventually. I think four and a half is a good driving rate for the economy. Now. Could they get higher? Yes. The reason that I think there would be restrictions to that is because how much more things cost now. Where houses aren't 120,000 anymore, so we can't really charge people 12%. <clears throat> they just won't pay it. Right. Well, I remember back in you know 98 when I bought my first house, my interest rate was 9% on an arm. Yeah. Which was good then, sure. and even when I got into real estate 18 years ago, average rates were. If you got a five, you had excellent credit. Yeah. If you got a six, you were average. Now, if you got a seven, that's when you were, you know, a five eighty or below. Sure. So, I mean, I remember those days. What are the benefits to buying versus now versus later? You always buy now. Um, I'll explain to you why. When rates are high, markets might level. But again, this isn't a toxic asset, toxic loan recession, okay? This is an inflationary recession. It's a completely different ballgame, right? Um, economics 101, they're two different things. So you might see, if when you start seeing price reductions right now, it's because the seller has to come back to earth. It's not that, it's not that the housing market's crashing, it's that we are no longer in a name your price market. Now we're in a, what are the comp support market, right? So we gotta get back to that, which is, normal real estate 101 right. but you still have to go all the way through the um, seller paid closing costs and all this stuff before you get into a true buyer's market that takes years even though inventory is expanding right we're starting to see more inventory it's still going to take a while what do you think is going to happen to prices when the rates go back down prices They're are going to go right back up so 
I can fix your rate two years from now. I cannot go back in time to today fix that price. and buy the and buy the house for what it's worth right now. You just can't do it. Yep. Real estate's always a good bet. I had a I had a good friend of mine uh, post yesterday. Um, marry the house, date the rate. Hundred percent. And we've been talking about that for two or three weeks. You can always fix your loan. You cannot fix the price you paid for the house. Absolutely. It's just not possible. What are the benefits of buying down your rate? So there's two different ways to buy down your rate. One is the customary, just regular permanent buy down. We're advising people against that right now. And let me tell you why. Let's say you have a $400,000 loan, right? And it's gonna cost you 1% to move your rate from six to maybe 5.65. You're gonna save about a hundred bucks, okay? You're gonna pay about $6,000 to do that. So what's your break even? Five years from now, guess what? In less than five years, rates are gonna be back at the fours. You'll never recover that money, ever. So don't do it. Don't spend money you're not gonna get back. It doesn't make sense. The thing I love about math is it doesn't lie, okay. right? The numbers are the numbers. So you're never gonna get that money back. Do not do permanent buy-downs right now. If anything, ask the seller to participate in a temporary buy-down. Now this is something that not everybody has, but a temporary buy-down works like this. Let's say you qualify for a 6.25 rate, okay? If you ask the seller for a temporary buy-down, okay, let's say a 2-1, which means 2% the first year, 1% the second year. I ran a scenario for a realtor at 400,000. It would cost, instead of doing a price reduction of 10 grand, it was gonna cost their seller about 9,000 to participate in the buy-down. The buyer got a $550 lower payment year one, a $270 lower payment year two, and then year three, they start paying their actual rate. We think this whole economic event's over two years. Well, so two we're, years coming right behind, we're coming right behind them refinancing in that hopefully mid four rate. So if you wanna be the most attractive house on the block, make it more affordable. Lowering your price $10,000 is only gonna save them 70 bucks. That doesn't move the needle. But if you can save someone $500 for the first year, now I'm listening. So this is a very old solution to a very new product, but we're helping everybody. We're matching buyers with the correct home and we're helping sellers move their homes without potentially using the wrong strategy. A reduction right now isn't the first thing we should be thinking about because it doesn't save the buyers a ton of money. If we can temporarily buy down that rate for the next 48 months or 24 months, it's gonna significantly help them in their pocketbook way more than a price reduction. Can't wait to do those, one of those with you. Uh, what is the cost of buying down an interest rate? All right, you touched on this a, a minute ago, but what is the cost of buying down the interest rate? So on a permanent buy down, it's costing about 1% to move your rate about three eighths. Okay, so 1% is 1% of your loan amount. So if you're borrowing 400,000, that's gonna be a $4,000 charge. And it's gonna lower your rate about 3 eighths of a percent. So if you were qualified for a 6.25, that $4,000 is only gonna move it to 5875, which is still gonna put you in a rate that's in jeopardy of needing to be refinanced within two years. So the 4,000, you'll never make the $4,000 back unless you make yourself stay in that loan for 40 months. 
which none of us think is going to be the advisable thing to do. Because think about it this way. Think about the other side. What if I'm completely wrong? What if every economist is completely wrong and it goes the other way? You still have a six and a quarter. You don't have an eight. You don't have a nine. Mm-hmm. You still have a better rate. Why spend the money? Especially with everything going on right now, keep your cash in your pocket as yep. much as you can. Cash is king. Cash is king. Don't put money into your rate right now. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Temporary buy downs make sense because it affects your pocketbook on a large scale. But paying four grand to move your rate three eighths and still have a high five doesn't make any sense right now. This is not the market to do that in. When rates are at two five and you want to pay to get it at two and a quarter, that's fine. You're never refinancing that rate. Ever. Ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, the world has to be falling apart and you need access to your equity to redo that loan. Mm-hmm. That's okay to buy that down. But to buy down something that you're going to redo uh, doesn't make any sense. So we're advising everybody against it. Good to know. <clears throat> So what is what is the what is your interest rate today? That's a really hard question because I'll I'll tell you the way the interest rates are advertised today. How about that? Okay. So if you go online, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, they all do the same thing, right? Twenty five percent down, perfect credit, paying one percent. Okay. That's the formula that they use. So when you see that rate from Bank of America Wells or Chase, which today is probably 6.125, okay? When you see that rate, just know that they're calculating someone putting 25% down, having perfect credit, and paying 1% uh, in closing costs extra to reduce the rate, which we're advising against. So if you're putting 3% down or 5% down, and you don't have perfect credit, and you're not paying that, that isn't your rate. But that is the standard by which everybody has advertised their interest rates, right? So we have to educate people on that because they'll say, oh, you're a quarter off of Bank of America, or you're a quarter off of Wells Fargo, or really we're not. The difference is, is they're building in this perfect scenario in which you don't fit into, right? Because I wouldn't put 25% down right now. That's my personal opinion. And that's only if that's only if you qualify for that term. Hundred percent. If you are someone that may not have perfect credit, maybe you're in the mid mid six hundreds, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to get that rate. You're probably going to get a little bit higher rate. Sure. And how is it buying? How is it with someone that may have a 580 credit score, what's their buying potential right now? So their buying potential is in the 580 to 660 category, if cash is king. If you have cash, we can bring you to the table because FHA, their rates are maxing out at about six and a quarter right now anyway. Uh, You could still do temp buy down if you wanted to, the temporary buy down. Um, It's really just, can can you pay the cost to get the six and a quarter? Because we don't have the ability to go higher. On conventional, we have rates open all the way to 7.65 right now. And to go back to what you were talking about earlier, if you're an investor or if you're buying a second home and you're not putting 30, 35% down, that advertised rate is not for you. Fannie Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac made some changes on April 1st where it's a lot harder to buy an investment home or a second home unless you're putting a considerable amount of money down. 
So those interest rates are not for you. The costs are higher, the rates are higher, everything is, is higher when you're buying a second home or uh, an investment property right now using traditional financing. So do you think, do you think that those, those guidelines will come, come and change with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? eventually on on investments in secondary homes sure so when you think about what they serve to do Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac they're the largest servicer of loans in the United States right those two companies mm -hmm. so if we have an inventory problem right we go the other way we have too much inventory we'll open it back up because that's an easy way to solve the problem let people buy second homes let people buy investment homes with similar rates then you will eliminate the inventory problem. Right now, we don't need to. Right now, inventory is still on its way back to where it needs to be. We don't have months of inventory right now. If we had four months, if we had eight months of inventory, they might change that. But it's gonna take getting to that point. So that's one of those things where they have all the levers and they know when to pull them. Uh, they pulled those back because your first time home buyers could buy home. Because people with the money were buying everything. The rates were too low for an investment property. So I'm going to go back to COVID for a second. Sure. During COVID, there were so many homeowners that were put in a position whether they lost their home, their hours were reduced, or, or whatever it may be, and they were offered forbearance mm -hmm. through their, their mortgage company. Mm -hmm. We are starting to see some of those forbearance not get paid mm -hmm. and they're getting notices of foreclosure mm -hmm. what can a homeowner do to not lose their home okay um so one i'm going to backtrack first That's and we're going to talk about how bad this could have been mm -hmm. because the amount of people that took forbearance maybe not knowing what it was uh, it was almost 12-15% at one point of all mortgages uh, took a forbearance agreement. In the beginning, we did not know what the repercussions of that would be because the way that works is you forego the payments now and then they're due at a later time. Um, where we got lucky, and I call it kind of the, the largest, great escape of the real estate industry ever, is we didn't know we were going to have runaway appreciation. So most of the people that could still pay they were able to redo their loans using the new equity that they received during the time of COVID. Had we not had appreciation at the level that we had, we could have been looking at six to 9% foreclosure. And really just by luck, we avoided that. Okay. So that's number one. So now we're at a 1% or less default rate, which is the standard default rate, even when you're doing normal lending. Um, what they can do or try to do is work out a loan modification with their current mortgage company. Um, it's not an easy process. Uh, it's costly, but it is better than a foreclosure. And generally speaking, they're trying to work on terms that will allow for them to be able to make the payments. It's expensive, especially in Texas where we live. Uh, it's extremely expensive to foreclose and it's even more expensive to bring those homes back to market. So it's in the best interest of them to work with the buyer, but they still have to be able to qualify it some way. So we're gonna have some foreclosures come, um, but for the ones that get the notice, 
the first thing you do is call your servicer and ask them if there's any way that we can modify the loan. Chances are they have enough equity to do so. So as long as they can qualify for that modified loan, they should have a way out. Good to know. We're still we're still seeing we're still seeing buyers lose out on on contracts. Okay. What can what can a buyer do on the loan side, especially with an FHA or even a VA VA mostly? But what can they do to strengthen their offers? What do you think? I'll start with VA because you know I'm very passionate I know. about this. I do. And the very first thing is, is we need to educate listing agents and sellers that they already paid their down payment. Mm -hmm. Okay. They I wrote agree. a blank check to the United States of America, so they need to deserve. They deserve to own a home. That's number one. Okay. We have to get that educated and out into the market. Number one, and we try to do that every year. Um, number two, there are options out there. Uh, you can do more of your approval up front so that you can take away some of your financing contingency. We have programs where we can get you completely clear to close other than the property. So when you make your offer, there's no financing contingency, it's just the appraisal. Um, the VA is making, uh, there's actually a bill that's uh, sponsored by a senator and a House of, Rep House of Representatives, uh, different chambers, they're co-sponsoring this bill to try to uh, modify the VA appraisal process. Um, to where they could allow some drive-by and even allow appraisal waivers. Uh, that's the only slow part of the VA home process is the appraisal. If we can fix that part and less transactions is going to speed that up. We're already starting to get them back a little sooner. Um, but if we can speed that process up, I think that goes a long way. But it's all about educating people. Uh, we also have cash backup guarantees. Right, so if they don't close, we'll pay for cash for the house. We have that in house, and then you have other companies out there, uh, Ribbon and a few others that offer that as well, so that you can write a cash offer and then use the financing. It's very clear up front, like, hey, we're going to try to use financing, but if not, you'll get cash for the house. So those are some things that I've seen them do in the market. Um, the last maybe sixty days, they haven't needed it as much. Um, but I don't think those tools are going to go away. I think uh, competing with cash, the thing about if rates keep going up is cash buyers don't care what the rate is. They have a better advantage. So as long as we continue to be a transient community where people are coming from out of state, it's going to be a competition factor that we have to have an answer for. And I think that the cash backup offers um, is a good one. Taking care of a lot of the financing up front so you can do zero financing contingency is another aggressive way. To, I mean, you get a financed offer and you know maybe you have this out of, I mean, this is Texas. People still like being a Texan. And yeah. if you've got an out of state person or you've got a veteran that's put in the work and doesn't have a financing contingency, I like the veteran's chance in the state of Texas. I really do. We just have to be able to relay that information in a way to where it gets all the way to the sellers. So I would say listing agents, get as much information as you can and take it all the way to your sellers. Let them make that choice. Don't, don't take any, uh, you know, don't sort the stack in a certain way if, uh, if the information could be better for the VA buyer. That's what I think. I don't have any other questions. Okay. Well, then I <laughs> would like to ask you a question. Me. Okay. Yeah. And we'll just have a conversation. 
So one of the things I would like to know, and this is a conversation I'm going to ask everybody that comes in here, is as a person in leadership, right? Most of us start in production and then something happens. There's a moment where we decide like, no, I need to do this Robbie Nelson's way or, you know, in a different way. So what was that moment? You're, you're selling real estate. You don't have to give names. We don't have to do brands, any of that stuff. <laughs> but you're somewhere that you're not now. Yeah. You're working for someone which you're not now. And then something happens. What was that moment that you decided, nope, I got to do this. I got to do this on my own. I think that, I, okay, so I had two moments. Okay. So my first moment was, I was, I was trying to grow. Okay. I wanted, I wanted an assistant. I wanted, I wanted to potentially grow a team. I, um, and I really didn't know how to do that. And so I started asking questions and then, um, where I was at wasn't, wasn't where I needed to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, was it large? Were there a lot of people? No, it was okay. small. It was, I mean, it was, it was a small brokerage. Um, but I needed, I knew I needed more. You know, I was, I was in a position that, you know, I mean, closing, closing at least one deal a week and, mm -hmm. and I was doing everything on my own. I didn't have an assistant. I didn't have a transaction coordinator. We didn't even have transaction coordinators. 18 years ago mm -hmm. um, and so I just felt that for me I had to I had to make a move and, and go somewhere else where I could say okay this is this is how I'm gonna start moving forward and growing mm -hmm. I made that move and I quickly realized I need to get my broker's license yeah so uh, seven months of hard, hard work and a lot of hours. Um, I finally did that and uh, went independent. Mm -hmm. Started out with one assistant. I still only have one assistant, but now we, we've grown to, we're still a small brokerage. Mm -hmm. um, we have 15 agents. We have one assistant that she kind of handles all of us. And, um, I mean, we're growing, we're, we're going to build a new office and, and potentially grow our agents and more teams. And so, so would you say that where there were holes in the place that you left, those are the first things that you filled? Like we're going to, oh, we're going to do X, Y, Z. Cause we didn't oh, absolutely. have that where I was before. Absolutely. Yeah. And nobody tells you when you're, when you're doing your classes, and, and you're just, you know, in, in the grind of everything, nobody tells you, oh, hey, this is your first step, and then this is your second step. Now, your coaches, yeah. you know, if you're in a coaching program, they're going to tell you your first hire is an assistant on day one of you getting your license. Well, most people who are day one getting their license can't afford to have an assistant. So you go, you try to find a brokerage that will offer an assistant um, whether it be transaction coordinating or, you know, just a general admin. Sure. So those are the brokerages you need to look for, especially if you're just starting out. Yeah. And that, and that's a good point because I think there's a lot, uh, it's a lot of different, it's a different perspective in what you need day one mm -hmm. of 
coming into the real estate industry versus what you need year two, year five, year 10. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you the same story for me, okay? So I have two also. So the first one is worked for a lot of companies, some good, some bad, uh, always boiled down to how good was the manager? Always, right? Um, had some good ones, went through 2008, learned a lot, stayed in the industry, uh, always had aspirations to kind of go out on my own but wasn't really sure how to do it. 2010, had an opportunity with a couple other people, um, which really reduced the risk. So we decided, okay, we're gonna go with this. And, uh, you know, they were family, kind of outnumbered, but it went really, really well for about five years. Uh, learned a ton of stuff, but I spent almost all my time in operations, right? I'm kind of a systems guy. Uh, my, you know, disc assessment is like, no D, which means like not outgoing, not salesy, blah, blah, blah. I have a very low D also. Yeah, so I gotta learn, so I gotta learn that stuff. It's not normal for me. Even doing stuff like this is not normal for me. It's learned behavior. Right. Um, but I know it's important, right? So we go through that six and a half years, five and a half of it, great. But uh, we no longer were on the same page for what the future of was, right? Mm -hmm. I always wanted to build people, uh, culture, offices, production, I just wanted to build, right? I wasn't in it to just make money. Um, and their focus was profit per loan. I, I didn't really like that. I felt like it made us non-competitive in the market. We were always gonna get a certain subset of the borrowers and it wasn't gonna be um, completely inclusive, right? Uh, so I hadn't done a loan since 2010. This is March of 2016. I didn't know any realtors. Um, I didn't really even know if anybody would come with me. So I just gave it to God and said, I'm going. Mm -hmm. And I came home and I told my wife and she was like, well, if you're miserable, we gotta do it immediately. So that Monday I put in my notice and in this industry, that means you quit that basically. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of bar, a lot of sensitive information so you mm -hmm. can't stick around. So anyway, I leave uh, within a week. I'm in a new space, um, new company, uh, new roadmap. I'd also wanted a coach that whole six years and they didn't want that expense, which I think is not an expense, it's an investment obviously. So I hired a coach immediately. Um, first year we had five or six people come in. Uh, we did about 32 million uh, in loans, which I was very excited about. Uh, second year, we doubled our staff. We did 75 million. Uh, third year, we did 102. Second year, we did 220, which we had added a large group. Um, then we did 330, and last year we were just under 500 million. Um, and it all comes from when I walked out of the door, one of those two people looked at me and said, you don't have any realtors, you've never done a loan, good luck. And I said, well, I appreciate that. And that was your motivation to yeah. do better, to work harder, and, and... Anytime I feel like I could probably let up for just a second, yeah. because I could let the competition, like, you know, I can take, the, I can take it easy this day. That comes into my head. Mm -hmm. And it'll never happen. Ever. Um, the original motivation was I walked down the, the day before I quit I walked down the halls 
and I was saying hi to everyone. I was the only one of the three that was social to our own group, which is crazy to me. And every one of them looked miserable. And so I got my coffee, I went back into the office, I said, guys, you know, everybody in there looks miserable. And uh, they didn't care. Not that they didn't care, but it wasn't, maybe they cared, but it wasn't extremely obvious to them that we needed to enact change immediately. And that was it for me. Like in that moment, I was like, I won't do that. I will never do that. We can do, we don't have to do, I don't care how many, how many loans we do, everyone's gonna love working here. You know what I mean? They come first. Um, there's been times where I don't take a check because it makes sense. You know, it doesn't matter. It's not about that. What it's about is building something that, you know, you would be proud of, the people that work here would be proud of. Like, I want them to be like, well, I love where I work. I want them to say, well, I wouldn't want to work anywhere else. And as long as I do, when I, when I talked earlier about moving back, and if you can just look at one or two things and you know everything else is rolling well, if, if the people that work here with me, not for me, there's a difference, if the people that work here with me are telling people they love working here, we did our job. 100%. We did our job. Um, so that plus, you know, we're very feverish about working inside of our community. Of things are too, so yeah. with my brokerage, you know, we, we love to give, we love to help, we love to help out our community. Um, it's something that is is dear to me. It's it's you know whatever our church needs, whatever our school needs, you know, community, whatever yeah. our community needs. I'm I'm most likely going to be the first one. I don't need praise. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't need recognition. You do not have to put my name anywhere I just I do it because that I enjoy it yeah. and I can mm -hmm. we've been very very blessed and and that's I just want to give back so one of the things that we say is we win humbly when we give quietly mm -hmm. right absolutely so you know it says it, it even says in the Bible mm -hmm. um, if you give for the reward of people noticing that's your reward yeah. Uh, but if you give for the correct reason, your reward comes. Your reward comes later, right? I don't need anyone to know. I don't need anyone. What we're to giving. Uh, I just need to know that I'm doing it. Absolutely. Right? If I give someone money and they do the wrong thing with it, that's for them to be judged by. I did what I was supposed to. Absolutely. Right? And I think people get hung up on that. Uh, but giving is one of the most fulfilling things in the world. Mm -hmm. And every year, my number one goal isn't volume. It isn't loans. It isn't growth. It's giving. How much, give, how much are we giving this if year? If we give more, everything else is taken care of. Absolutely. Uh, so we try to do that, you know, win humbly, give quietly. We do a lot of things, uh, none of which we're going to announce or say any of those things. But what I would encourage people is if you really want to build a business that has roots, plug into your community. Because mm -hmm. if you're not plugged into your community, um, it's just kind of, it's shallow to me. It's surface level. Mm -hmm. It's not deep. You're not you're not you're not making roots with the people that support your business, right? Absolutely. Uh, you wouldn't have the business you have if it wasn't for the community around you. Why aren't you investing? I remember there there's new agents come to me all the time, and one of the things I tell them they're like, how how did you how did you get to where you are today? And I said, 
I just go out and I talk to people and, you know, my kids were involved in, you know, in every sport, you know, through junior high and high school and club balls and, and whatever. It's about talking to people. It's about making the relationship. It doesn't matter how many advertising dollars you spend or how many leads you buy from third party companies. It's that doesn't have anything to do with it. It's all about the relationship that you make with that person that you're talking to at the moment. So if you're sitting with me and we're sitting at the at the baseball field or softball field or you know volleyball court or wherever we were, I'm gonna have a conversation with you, but I'm gonna get to know who you are and I'm gonna get to know who your family is. And then eventually you're gonna come and ask me about real estate. Sure. You know who do you who do you know in the mortgage industry? Who do you know? Uh, can you help me buy or sell this house? You know who do you, who are your inspectors? Who who are your you know your insurance companies? Who who are all your people? Well, you're one of my people. That's you know that's why I think we have a, a great working relationship. And you know you and I know you remember this because we talk about it often, but what was it four years ago I came to you just I can't I don't even know why I came up here I was to pick something up yeah. or whatever and you're like how's your day and I was just like blah no it's not great and you're like hold on a second you went and shut the door we sat down we had a conversation and at that moment I knew what I needed to do for my brokerage you know we we needed to make some some tough decisions and you know, just talking to you for that 10 minutes, yeah. you know, gave me enough strength and confidence to go, okay, you know what? It's okay. I can do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'll so, never forget that moment. Oh, I know. And, <laughs> and if any, if anybody watches this, that's in a similar situation, what I would say is, because I feel this myself too, uh, leadership's a lonely place, mm -hmm. you know, um, we have less peers. We have even fewer peers that are willing to engage in real uh, conversations mm -hmm. around the things that struggle. Uh, we all want the same thing, which is the absolute best for our people. Absolutely. And if we feel like we're not delivering that, it's the hardest conversation to have. And it's a lonely place to be. You know, you're alone with your thoughts, you're alone mm -hmm. with your doubts, you're your own worst enemy, you're your, always your worst critic, mm -hmm. right? Especially when you love and care about your people. And you need people. Uh, leaders need other leaders that they can talk to. Absolutely. Um, you know, I joke, my, my mom thinks I hung the moon. But if I called and told her I'm really struggling with something, I, you know, it's, it doesn't, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. You know, she's going to give me praise and, and she believes in me if I'm doing the complete wrong thing. Right. Right. But having another person that's in a similar circumstance that uh, you can be vulnerable with, that is responsible for a group of people and their well-being. Uh, with the amount of people that we have in our organization, that's a heavy weight that we bear, right? Um, and anytime it's not going well, you feel like the pressure's on you to fix it. So you need other people uh, to talk to. And I think over the next 12 to 18 months, we all are gonna Oh, I believe that. You know, and my, my personal belief is there's, there's, 
I mean, we have over 40,000 realtors within the Houston Association of Realtors. There's, I don't even remember the number of, of brokerages that we have, but it's a lot. So you and I, or me and another broker, sharing an idea or sharing, you know, thoughts or, or struggles or whatever it may be, doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be competitors all of the time. You know, we, sure. we, can, we can work and bounce things off of each other and cohesively work together to potentially grow each other. It's not, it's not always about, oh, I can't tell you that. Mm -hmm. I can't tell that's, that's, that's a secret. Mm -hmm. But why is it a secret? Why do, why do from, we have to have all the secrets? No, I agree. And I think where it comes from is certain people, no matter their level of success, in the back of their mind, they still operate from that scarcity mindset mm -hmm. instead of abundance. To me, if I come up with a solution for a problem inside of this market, which I think temporary buy downs is one, I'm going to give it to everybody because I know that that will pay dividends to me at some point, right? doesn't matter if I don't get all those transactions. If I can solve the problems, then people know that, hey, Steve's got answers, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can go to him. Next time something goes crazy, what's, what's going to be his idea? You know, I'm going to get on the video and uh, on the Zoom call and figure out what's his solution because in, in the last 12 months, I've had two opportunities to do that. Just since January, really, mm -hmm. you know, we have these rising rates, here's five solutions. Mm -hmm. Now we've got this, you know, buyer frustration inventory thing with potential reductions, here's some solutions. As long as you have the solutions, give them away. Don't hold them, give them away, it will come back to you. Because the loan officers at those other companies that weren't told by their C-level you know, executives or managers about these solutions, and then they hear them through the grapevine and it's us, they're gonna be interested in working here. And if they're the right culture fit, we will let them. Um, and the realtors that are like, hey, this place has it, I don't care if you're loyal and you don't use me and you get those loans done, you still remember who it came from. Right. Give it away. It's not like you can do all the transactions anyway. No one can. No one can. So if you hold it like this, all you're doing is stopping the problem from being solved. Mm -hmm. You can't solve it yourself. No one person can solve it yourself. 40,000 people, do we even have 40,000 listings? No. No. You can't, you can't solve the problem for one person. So you gotta give it away. That's what I think. I agree. I don't mind sharing. No, me neither. I, I mean, I'm an open book. I mean, everybody everybody that knows me, that knows that I'm an open book, if you, if you wanna ask me a question, then you ask me a question and I'm gonna tell you. Yeah. Whether you're with my brokerage, with you're with another brokerage, or you're not even in the area, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a question, I'll be more than happy to help you. So, as a leader, I feel like it's our responsibility to help people, whether they directly can benefit us or not. Mm -hmm. Period. So if that means it's a realtor or a loan officer that doesn't work with our group, if they need help and they ask me a question, I'm gonna help them. Yeah. Period. Because. I wouldn't be doing my job uh, as a leader uh, in this industry if I don't help them. Because a real leader doesn't care about the brands. They care about actually building and helping people succeed. It's about building the relationships. 100%.
Hundred percent. I have I have constructive conversations with people that do not work at this company. They may never work at this company, but we're friends. We okay. do the same thing. Uh, we talk about solutions. We talk about ideas, and those relationships are going to be strong for years and years to come because we're not threatened by each other. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. as long as you don't feel threatened by your competition, it opens up the ability to collaborate. And I think collaboration is the key to success because you and I sitting here together can come up with ideas a lot faster than either one of us by ourselves. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. Yes. Yes. I appreciate you coming. And I know that it's always a pleasure. Anytime we get to talk, it's uh, interesting. It's interesting for us to take some time to let other people see kind of what our conversations are like. Hopefully it will encourage more people to have conversations like this and I hope that you would be willing to come back sometime in the future because I always like talking to you. Oh, absolutely. I love, you know, our friendship has just grown over the last several years and anytime you call me or one of the girls call me and say, hey, Steven's got an idea and I'm like, I am on board. Let's go. Where do I, where are we meeting? You know, because I love your brain just works constantly about trying to find new things, figuring out whatever and, you know, sitting and bouncing it off of each other. It's, it's, it's a great day. Yeah, I think it's invaluable. It's not great for my sleep schedule that my brain works that way, but I do appreciate it when it comes to business. So thank you again. Well, I appreciate you always including me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, you have a good day. You too.